the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Bible, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, Saul, now a believer, begins to preach about Jesus in the synagogues in Damascus. The reaction is a mixed bag, with those who don't believe following the familiar pattern of looking for ways to kill him. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 9, verse 20. The title of the message is, Go and Tell. Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, as we we move through this study of the book of Acts and are reminded that Jesus is still working, we found Saul of Tarsus has entered into that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that intimate relationship with him. On the road there where Jesus confronted him with his sin and Saul repented and put his faith in Christ, calling him Lord. And then Ananias comes to him and places his hands on him and says, Brother Saul, the Lord has called me here to pray for you that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And so Saul now, having been introduced to the disciples, we left off at verse 19. It mentions he was certain days with the disciples that were at Damascus. He now begins to go forth. What now? On the road to Damascus, Jesus had told Saul, go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. And in Acts chapter 26, Paul tells King Agrippa, at that time his name's Paul, that those instructions were to go and to share the great news of forgiveness in Christ to the Gentiles. And while Saul had a unique ministry to the Gentiles, we're all called to go and tell the world the wonderful news of our Savior. And so as we move through Saul's initial ministry and then now into some of the things that God continues to do through Peter, may we be challenged as we see the church going out to the world around them to get outside of our comfort zone and obey the call to go and tell. So Acts chapter 9 will begin in verse 20. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. But all that heard him, they were amazed, this is Saul, and said, is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and then came here for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Paul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. But after many days, after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. So here we see Saul's initial ministry. Remember that right upon his healing, where God restores his sight, fills him with the spirit, he gets baptized, and immediately he goes and he starts to fellowship with the other believers. 
This is imperative. When someone gets saved, they need to get plugged into a strong body of believers. It's important. You know, if you ever lead someone to Christ, you need to bring them to church and make sure you're there that Sunday so that they can come and not be alone. And the idea of being plugged into a strong body where they're going to get fed and going to be encouraged and have fellowship and build relationships. Saul did that there with the disciples that were Damascus. But the second thing, it's important imperative for a new believer to do. It is to go and tell others. And one of the first things that we tell people when they just get saved is go tell someone else what you just did. And that's what we find Saul doing immediately as he was fellowshipping with the other believers and welcomed into their body. He now begins to preach Christ at the same time in the synagogues that he is the son of God. This is what the early Christians did wherever they went. Have you let that part of your faith grow cold? Don't ever stop telling people about Jesus. When I first got saved in 88 and I was one toe in the church and like the rest of the body was still in the world. So I was one of those Christians that had a slow experience, early experience with the Lord where I really didn't get on fire for the Lord right away. I had a lot of stuff that the Lord had to work through in my heart and my life. About two years later, when I really gave my life to the Lord in surrender, I couldn't tell enough people about Jesus. Everywhere I went, I just wanted to tell people about Jesus. We wonder, we go to the gas station and the Lord says, hey, tell that person over there about Jesus. And we're like, why? They don't look like they want to hear about Jesus. You know, we start to rationalize all the reasons why. we. Well, you know, the moment's not right. I haven't prayed enough lately. I didn't have my devotion time yet. You know, Lord, the time is just not right right now. I didn't worry about whether the time was right. Half the time when I was in that newly phase of being surrendered, there were lots of things that were still messed up in my life. And it didn't matter. I didn't look at myself and say, am I qualified to share the gospel with this person today? Are they in the right place for me to share the gospel with them? They're on their way to work, pumping gas. They're not ready to receive the gospel. Was I when I first heard it? Were you? Don't ever stop telling people about Jesus. And when it gets addictive, when you start doing it again, you get excited. You get excited. You know, that first time you get that rush of, all right, I'm going to tell him, I'm going to tell him. And then you go over the edge and then the Lord, he opens the door and then you start talking to him and you're like, wow, that was awesome. We had H4O partnering with the youth group yesterday to go out and to share the gospel. We had our young people playing music and sharing the gospel for over two hours with people down there. It was at Lake Yola, I believe. What an awesome thing. And what would be more awesome is if we had a lot more people there. That's not to condemn. That's to encourage and exhort. What an awesome thing if we had a whole massive crowd of people that just said, we want to tell people about Jesus. Hmm. Don't ever let that part of you grow cold. But notice what he was preaching. In the, he went in their synagogues. Now, remember Saul of Tarsus, he is a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. He's there as a man of honor with letters from Caiaphas himself, the high priest. And as he would walk into that synagogue that morning, they would be like, Brother Saul, would you please share the word with us? That was something that Saul did everywhere he went. He was a well-known Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin. And so when he would go, he had that legacy behind him. And oftentimes when you would be that guest of honor, all the other people there would defer to you. You were the rabbi of honor there. And so as they would read the scroll and as they would go through their litany and their liturgy and they would go through that, then they would invite Saul to come up and share and tell us what the Lord is doing. Tell us what God's word has laid on your heart. <laughs> and so as he's brought into this situation, Saul, would you come share with us in the synagogue what God is doing and what God has laid on your heart? Probably imagining he'd be like, I'm here to tell you about these Nazarene sect people. 
the way. I'm here to tell you about these guys who I'm here to arrest and get. But as he gets up and he stands up and he begins to speak, he preaches about Jesus. Can you imagine as maybe they opened the scroll of Isaiah or wherever it was that they opened up? And then he said, you know, it's fascinating. This is where you're at in your reading. Let me tell you who this is talking about. And in particular, it mentions that he was the son of God. Talk about a 180, I mean, a complete turnaround. That Jesus was God in the flesh was the crux of Paul's preaching. He saw it as imperative to have a correct understanding of the person of Jesus Christ. And it is imperative for us as well. Jesus is not another God. He's not a great man. He's God Almighty in the flesh. And anyone that denies that cannot be saved. You can't. There are essentials. There's all these debates today. Is this group Christian or is this group Christian? Is this, you know, and, and, and you find Christians kind of shy away from defining what a Christian is. But the Bible is very clear. There are essentials. We don't have time to really go over those essentials today, but in Ephesians 4, you can see the unity of the faith that's there. One God, one Lord, one spirit, one faith, the idea of the body of truth that's here. There are things there that you have to believe to be a Christian. It doesn't mean you have to have it all wrapped up in your mind, but you have to be able to say, this is who we are worshiping. If the who we are worshiping, you don't believe the same thing, then we're not worshiping the same person. And that's a problem. So Paul, right away, he tells him that he's the son of God. And those that heard him were amazed. The word there means to be completely overwhelmed. This blew them away. They didn't know this. And probably many of the Christians there probably went to synagogue from time to time. So there'd be both believers and unbelievers here and just blown away that this guy, they said, is not this he that destroyed them, which called on this name, that's Jesus, in Jerusalem? And didn't he come here for that intent, that purpose, that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? No one is beyond the Lord's gracious reach, amen? No one, no one. I was listening to a message this morning where son of Sam had emailed a pastor I mean, if you guys are probably familiar with the story in New York of the murders that he perpetuated, and he had written to the pastor because that pastor had sent Bibles to this jail ministry in the area, and it was the area where he was in jail. And he had written to the pastor to say, hey, I'm not sure why you sent the Bibles, but thank you very much. We will make sure, me and the chaplain will make sure that we'll find a place for them. Come to find out that a couple of years after he was in prison, that someone led him to Christ. And now he serves there. He serves a lot of the autistic members who are there. He has an outreach to them where he reaches out to them, shares the word of God with them, ministers God's love to them, helps the chaplain with organization of things. This is a guy who brutally murdered people. Well, so did Saul. I know there's probably some of you out here going, that's really uncomfortable. I don't think I like that. But that was Saul. That's what he did. And God forgave him. No one is beyond the Lord's gracious reach. Verse 22, but Saul increased the more in strength and he confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is the very Christ. The word there increased, he means he became more capable. Now, how did that happen? Well, as he stayed there in Damascus over three years, the Lord Jesus himself discipled him. If you'll turn over to Galatians chapter one with me, I probably should have had you turn there at the start of the sermon. Uh, We're gonna be living in Galatians one a little bit as we move through here. But in Galatians chapter 1, Paul gives a little bit of explanation of where he learned what he learned. We see here in verse 11, 
He says, but I certify or I make known unto you, brothers, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man or according to man. But for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it by an idea of implication is by man, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, keep your finger there and go back to Acts. And when did this happen? When did Jesus reveal himself to Paul? When did he teach him? Well, it says here in verse 23, and after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. Those many days we learn is actually three years. If we keep reading, he says, for you have heard, verse 13 in Galatians chapter one, for you have heard of my conversation and my lifestyle, my conduct in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and I wasted it. And I profited or I advanced in the Jews' religion above many of my equals, many of my contemporaries in my own nation being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father's. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I did not confer with flesh and blood. Neither did I go up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and I returned again unto Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and I stayed with him for 15 days. So we see that Paul spent three years in Damascus and the Arabian province of Rome. We find that for three years, he spent time in that area, three years. And it was in those three years that he mentions that he received his gospel, his message, by revelation of Jesus Christ. The word there, revelation, is apocalypsis, and it means divine instruction. Jesus himself came and discipled Saul. In verse 16 here of Galatians 1, Paul, and I will switch back and forth because by the time he wrote Galatians, he's Paul, and the time we're in Acts, he's Saul, so please don't get confused or think I don't know who I'm talking about. But in verse 16 of Galatians 1, he says that after he received his marching orders in Damascus, he did not confer with human instruction. And then he mentions in verse 17, going into Arabia. So the idea is his instruction came in Arabia. Now, Arabia was simply the Roman province that was governed by the Nabataeans. At that time, King Aretas IV was the one in charge. And that province stretched from Damascus all the way down the eastern side of Jordan, modern-day Jordan, into the desert region that was south of Judea and ended at the Sinai Peninsula. So all the way down into modern-day, the northern parts of Saudi Arabia. Now, some have suggested that since the other apostles sat under Jesus's earthly ministry for three years, you see the correlation there, that this is what happened with Saul during his three years in Arabia and Damascus, that Jesus was walking him through the same lessons that he taught the other disciples. Some have even suggested he went all the way down to Mount Sinai, the place where God gave Moses the law to receive that divine instruction. I don't know if that's what happened. But since Damascus is in Arabia, I personally believe he stayed in the general area of Damascus. There's other evidence in Acts that backs that up. I will get to that in a moment. But what's interesting is that for three years, here's this guy with all these qualifications, all this influence in his culture. And for three years, he's in this obscure Gentile city. Doing what? (laughs) Well, learning, sharing his faith. And if you have a call on your life, you feel like God's called you to do something specific or maybe called you to the ministry, then there's always going to be a time of preparation for you as well. 
G. Campbell Morgan said, it may not always be Arabia as a geographical location, but God never uses for the great work of interpreting his kingdom any man who has not been definitely called and spiritually trained. Moses spent 40 years out in the wilderness losing that mentality of, I don't have to look up, I can just look left or right and I'll be the savior for my people. Joseph had to spend 20 years in prison as a slave or you know, between being a slave and being in prison as a slave to prepare him for the place when he'd be risen up. And Joshua spent how many years as Moses's helper, it says, his minister, his attendant. There's always a period of preparation. We oftentimes, we receive a call of God and we say, all right, it's supposed to happen now. And then we grow discouraged when it doesn't happen now, right? Don't become discouraged. You're part of a great history of preparation. Now, while this was a period of being instructed personally by Jesus, was that all Saul did in Arabia? I don't believe so. The Nabataeans were Gentiles, and Jesus commanded him to preach to Gentiles, and I think he did. I think he did. Look at what happens when he returns to Damascus. We'll go back, keep your finger in Galatians, but we'll go back over to Acts here. He says here in Acts that after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. They took counsel to kill him. Now, Why on earth would you plan to kill a guy that hasn't done much? If he's gone out into the desert and just hung out with Jesus for three years, and that's all he did, and all of a sudden he comes back and he starts sharing about Jesus, well, what's the big deal? That's really quick to get under somebody's skin. Maybe he had upset not just the Jews, but the Gentile authorities as well with his preaching for the last three years. Have you ever wondered why Saul never had to be convinced like Peter to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles? I have. Saul's first church that he ministered at if we don't count Damascus, is Antioch. Antioch was the Gentile church. And when Barnabas was sent up there to go minister to them and disciple them and to teach them God's word, he realized this thing's blowing up. I can't do this on my own. He went and found Saul, the Bible says, in Tarsus and brought him back. And yet we see no thing where, you know, Barnabas comes to him and says, Saul, I need your help at Antioch. Antioch, isn't that the Gentile church thing that's going on? It's all weird. Gentiles getting saved. We never see any discussions. He gets right in. He starts discipling, starts teaching. But perhaps maybe that issue was already dealt with. Maybe he had already been sharing with Gentiles. Acts 26, verses 19 and 20 make it very clear. You can read that on your own time later. Acts 26, 19 and 20 make it very clear that Saul obeyed God immediately and he preached to the Gentiles at Damascus. It says it. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 32 and 33. Paul explains there, he says, in Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, it says he kept the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desiring to apprehend me. So it wasn't just the Jews that wanted to kill him. It was the governor of the city. He wanted to kill him as well. He wanted to capture him. He sent his own soldiers there. So it's very likely that while Saul was sitting at the feet of Jesus and being discipled, just as Jesus sent his own disciples out to preach the gospel, that Saul preached the gospel there to the Gentiles. And again, you know, I'd always wondered why Saul went so easily with Barnabas to be a leader of the very Gentile church in Antioch was perhaps because he'd already seen a very Gentile church in Damascus. Verse 24, back here in Acts. 
But their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night, and they let him down by the wall in a basket. Their plot was known to Saul. And it mentions that they watched the gates day and night. Again, the Jews were in cahoots with the governor, most likely using his soldiers to keep watch of those gates for Saul. And so it says that they let him down by the wall in a basket. Literally, the word by means through. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 33 says it was through a window in the wall. Now, the wall of Damascus still has homes with windows in the wall today. If you go there today, you can actually see on the outer walls, you can see the homes are pressed right up against the wall, and very often there'd be windows in the wall to those homes. And so that's how Paul was able to escape. But what a fascinating thing that it mentions that the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a basket. How touching that the very people he had come to arrest and murder were the ones who saved his life. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a brother or sister that you have ought against that you will not reach out to? That you've cut off from fellowship? You've cut off a relationship with them because they've sinned against you in some way or because they've hurt you? This guy came and I can only imagine that there were people present who were believers there in Damascus, who had fled Jerusalem, who had fled the persecution that was instigated by Saul, who had lost loved ones at his hand. And if he could forgive their murder, then who are we to hold back and to not release that person who has sinned against us? Guys, there's no place for unforgiveness. There's no place for bitterness. There's no place. If you want to stifle the spirit of God, you want to stifle the work of God, then don't forgive. Don't let go of something. Hold on tight to it. And we'll continue to just be right as we are. Remember what Jesus said to Ephesus? He said, you have all these wonderful things going on. You're solid on doctrine, he said. You got all sorts of ministries going on, but there's no love in this church. You have left your first love. There's no love in this church. And guess what? I won't be in a church where there's no love. So if you won't love, I'm leaving. That's heavy. That's heavy. We have no time to be petty. There are people going to hell right around us in the neighborhoods right here. They're going to hell. We have no time to be petty about what someone said that we didn't like or what someone did that broke our hearts. I'm so glad that when I've broken my Savior's heart that he has not held back in forgiving me. That he has not held on to that thing that I just can't seem to get over and can't seem to get right. But he's been gracious to me. The Bible says that is how all men will know that we belong to him, that we are true followers of Christ by the love that we have one for another. Not the love for the world, the love that we have one for another. Verse 26, when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed or he attempted to join himself. The word there, essayed, is in the imperfect, which means he tried multiple times without success to join himself to the apostles, to become a part of them. He wanted to be a part of what they were doing. But it says that they were all afraid of him and they believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him. Isn't that awesome? Barnabas went and found him and he took him and he brought him to the apostles and he declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. It could have cost him his life. He didn't know if he was legit. Can you imagine what it was like when Ananias brought Paul to church for the first time? Hey, look, it's a new believer, Saul, Tarsus. You idiot. 
<laughs> I knew you'd get us in trouble one day. Always believing in people. Always, and always giving people the benefit of the doubt, Ananias. And here's Barnabas, same type of spirit, same type of heart. He goes and he takes Paul, Saul, and he brings him to the apostles and he declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And so it says, verse 28, he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. Who's the last person you took a chance on? Who's the last person you took a chance on? You'll get burned sometimes. You will, but it's okay. It's okay because Saul never becomes Paul without Barnabas. Isn't it worth the risk? Isn't it worth the risk to take a chance? I mentioned that he was brought to the apostles, but actually it was just Peter and James. The other apostles were either not present or didn't meet with him. You can find that in Galatians 1. Saul stays with Peter for 15 days. Could you imagine those conversations? That's one I want to find out about in heaven. I want to be like, you two, tell me all about those 15 days. Yeah, well, Saul, he, yeah, once he found out I fell asleep in the garden, that's all I ever heard of for 14 days. <laughs> you what? <laughs> you fell asleep? <laughs> yeah, I, didn't, I denied him three times. But he forgave me. He restored me. I wonder if there was a moment when they both saw eye to eye the betrayal that they shared. And knew that they'd been forgiven. God's grace is an amazing thing, and it changes our hearts, allowing former enemies to learn to forgive, love, and sacrifice for each other. It is truly miraculous what God can do in the hearts of those who surrender to Him. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.